You're listening to Station F, the podcast. From the world's largest startup campus in Paris. This is Station F, the podcast, and I'm your host, Roxanne Varza. This week, we have Jeff Ralston, the president of Y Combinator, also known as YC, to talk about their new remote version of their program. I imagine our audience already knows YC very well, but it is one of the best-known startup programs around the world, having started in the Bay Area in 2005. Companies like Airbnb, Dropbox, Zapier, and more have gone through the program, and we'll get a chance to talk to Jeff on what the new remote program looks like. Well, Jeff, it's great to have you with us. Thanks for being here. It's great to be here, Roxanne, here being wherever we are. I mean, it's, I guess, in, in some virtual world, we're together now, right? Exactly. That's what being is today. <laughs> and I think you guys have just kicked off your second remote program at YC. So my first question is, what does the remote program look like? Yeah, we just launched our winter 21 batch last week. The pandemic hit a year ago of our winter 20 batch, which which was in person, although at the end of the batch, everything went virtual. Summer 20 was our first virtual batch, and, and this is the second. And, you know, I guess one way to look at it is it looks a lot like any other Y Combinator batch where um, there's a whole bunch of companies that work on their product, on their growth, on uh, everything necessary to get their company launched and hopefully in the end successful. And they spend a lot of time working with YC partners. Um, But instead of uh, coming to the Bay Area and living somewhere, um, hopefully near our Mountain View office, where we would have in-person batch events, all of those events are now virtual and all office hours are virtual. And so the, the interactions between, between uh, YC group partners and the founders all take place over either Slack or Zoom or, or sometimes text messaging, et cetera. The interesting thing I'll say is that in some ways, the connections are tighter than ever before, which is, I think, one of the ironies that many of us have found of the, the sort of the virtual connections. Um, even for me personally, I'm I'm more connected to some friends and family than I was prior to this because people feel like, oh, wow, we can just do a Zoom call. So we will. So it turns out that as it's run now, we do way more office hours than we ever did before. It's just more convenient and easy to schedule them. And we connect with founders way more than ever before. So in some ways, the interactions are tighter than they were in a, a, a an in-person batch, um, even though we obviously we've had to dispense with, you know, the hugs at the end of a batch <laughs> as people go through demo day and raise money and get their company off the ground. Oh, that's interesting. So it's kind of in a weird way, more connected uh, in this strangely connected new world. Now, I'm wondering, because I always thought that the the living together component, because always the YC teams had had to live together during the program. Um, I'm wondering, now people aren't living together, I'm assuming. How does that, does that impact at all what you guys see during the program? Well, uh, we don't actually know 
<laughs> people are living to people might be living together, but they just might be living together in France as opposed to in Mountain View or San Francisco. So, so they they might be. I I think you know one of the first things that happens to every organization and certain to why certainly to YC when the happened when the pandemic hit was that you all go remote and then you learn how to work from remote and. Certainly, we weren't expecting in January of 2020 to be a remote organization by March of 2020, but we were. And so we, you know, we had to figure out how to do that. We had to um, figure out how to stay together and and keep our morale high and figure out how to work and and, you know, figure out all the logistics of working together Um from remote. And so startup companies have to do that too. And sometimes that works great. And sometimes it doesn't. I don't know that, that, that we would see that or not. Companies have to find their own way to do this in their own rhythm. I will say this though, that even prior to, to the, uh, the, um, the appearance of, of COVID-19 in the world, there were several YC companies, several very successful YC companies that started off all remote, not living together, never being together, never actually having an office. Um, companies like Zapier and GitLab. And um, so I don't think I don't think this is a new thing. And I don't think it's necessarily fundamental to how a company operates or or even find success. Oh, that's good. That's reassuring. And I, I definitely wasn't aware for those great examples. Now, you mentioned earlier, um, for example, that you guys are seeing a lot more office hours, not as many hugs at the end of demo day. Tell me what's, <laughs> no, what's working. Virtual hugs, I guess. Lots yeah, of virtual hugs. Virtual <laughs> hugs and likes and high fives, probably. Um, what's working best with remote and not working so well with remote? <laughs> You know, when I talked to Michael Seibel about what's not, not working so well, he says, nothing's not working so well. This worked great. <laughs> um, the, uh, you know, what works well is that the connections between founders and other founders and founders and partners are, are, um, are in some ways richer, tighter, um, certainly, uh, in quantity larger, you know, um, hundreds of thousands, literally, of Slack messages were exchanged during the batch between batch members and between batch between um, founders and partners. Um, uh, th- we did we did fifty uh, percent more office hours with companies, so we were we, we were able to talk to them and, and spend time with them. And I, I individually met with a hundred companies myself, which would be hard to do in person. You could still do it, but. Um, you, we we actually had a had a tighter connection, and I will also say I think the virtual demo day, as much as we miss the in person excitement of demo day, it was great. It worked super well. There were more introductions between founders and venture capitalists than ever before in any demo day, and it so you know it was super convenient for the venture capitalists to sit at home and and scan through the the presentations and 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 the companies. So I'd say overall, the um, the the remote batch worked fantastically. We've learned a ton about it. Look, the thing we miss is being in person. Like I said, we miss the hugs. All all of us feel that. We feel that about our, about our our colleagues, and certainly we feel that about our our batches and our founders. Um, it's super important to a community 
to have that human connection. And we will recover that and, and we'll take a lot of learnings away from the virtual batches. We run our batches in the future once COVID-19 is relegated to history. But the in-person aspect of the batch is, is only a, a component of how we work with companies in the end. And we've learned a ton about that. Great. So if I understood correctly, you guys will not be forever remote. You will come back in a certain respect to the original model. You know, one of the things we found was that that for international companies, remote is incredibly helpful. And I suspect that to a certain extent, that will always be true and we'll always have some version of remote, whether it's international, you know, from a U.S. perspective or, or, or just maybe far flung from the Bay Area. But yeah, of course, when we can get together, we'll, we will get back together in, in some form. I, I don't think it'll ever look like it, quite like it looked before. Um, the, the batch, we won't sort of just go back to the past and, and rerun our batches exactly as though they were before that, that, that um, I think that has, that ship has sailed. We've learned too much and there's, there's, there's too much goodness in, in uh, allowing folks to stay near their markets and, 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 and not require them to move. And there's too much power in, in our ability to connect more tightly. So I, I think there'll be some sort of hybrid in the future. Well, that's interesting what you say about the foreigners, because I think we've definitely noticed, I mean, there's always been a huge international appetite for YC, but we've definitely seen it shoot up these last few months. Um, I'm wondering what kind of trends are you seeing on a global level? Do you see certain countries or ecosystems really coming forward? Um, all, <laughs> all of them. <laughs> the trend, you know, the ability of a, a company in India to apply, interview, and participate in YC without leaving the, the comfort of their home in, in, in Bangalore or wherever is extraordinary. And that's made a huge difference. But that, that's, that's true everywhere, in France, in South America, which, as you know, has a burgeoning entrepreneurial ecosystem. Um, Southeast Asia, huge um, Indonesian companies, and uh, um, just... It, it's really true that around the world, the um, the the realization that you know in Tom Friedman's world the world is really flat and much closer together was forced upon us by COVID nineteen. And so the the strange irony of COVID nineteen, as I mentioned earlier, is as much as it drove us apart in a physical way, it drove us closer together from an online perspective, and that's been very powerful everywhere around the world. Yeah, I can I can definitely see how that'd be true. And I'm wondering also, are there some tech trends that have really started to come to the surface more in 2020? Have you guys started to see certain things that you didn't see before that are now becoming stronger, specific opportunities? I would say that I don't think there's anything in particular we haven't seen before. It's just more. It's like, you know, more more tech, more more future of work, more future of healthcare more future of education. The reason for that is that when you inject technology into those realms, that those different markets, you, you naturally do a few things. Like, you know, people have been thinking about telehealth for a long time, but suddenly telehealth is way more necessary than it was before. So that accelerated those trends. So I would say overall, as opposed to seeing new things, we saw an acceleration 
of existing trends that certainly impacted the the mix of applications we saw, but but I don't think that it did anything different but change the trajectory. Those things were all happening anyway. They were just happening at their own sort of more meandering pace than um, than the urgency that that COVID nineteen forced upon us. Yeah, I can see why that'd be the case. Um, and so I think like a lot of people obviously know a, quite a few YC companies. I think the best known ones like Airbnb, Dropbox in France, obviously everyone knows Algolia and Front. And I'm wondering, can you share who you feel are kind of the up and coming stars that maybe fewer people have heard of? Um, That's hard, huh? <laughs> you know, it, it, one thing I'll suggest is is um, if you go look at the top companies list on YC, you might find some companies you haven't heard of. Um, but you know there were a, a few companies that clearly benefited from the shift to digital that were already at, at significant scale. If you look at companies like Instacart, which um, filed to go public in um, 2021. This is a, a company that was already doing really well, but you know, you know, they do home delivery of groceries, and quite obviously, that became a huge demand in 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 2020 and continues to this day. And one of the things you hear from a lot of people is, you know, why was I still going to the grocery store anyway? This is so much more convenient. So that shift, I think, is secular and permanent, and is going to changed a lot. I'm sure once COVID's over, more people will go to the super supermarket than did now, but that'll be, it'll be sort of marginal. Uh, another company I might mention is Stripe, uh, one of the largest payments providers in the world. This shift to digital as more and more people are buying online and transacting online has been um, right in line with what their business model is. So companies like that, I think you'll see, again, uh, not, not to not to reuse the same term again, but just they'll see an acceleration of trends that were already in their favor. And those those businesses are doing great. I almost hate to say it, Roxanne, because, you know, it feels it, it feels like, you, you know, COVID has, has been so hard on all of us psychologically. It's been stressful and many people have suffered loss, you know, and uh, of both livelihood and, and, and loved ones. And so it feels... It feels a little bit bad to talk about the you know silver linings to something so awful, but it is true that the shift to digital has benefited um, certain companies in certain sectors. It's unquestionable. It's, you can't really deny it. Yeah, and I think I mean, obviously we we feel the same way at Station F, and we remember that it's uh, been difficult for a lot of companies as well. Um, but I think thankfully we've had a lot of these solutions that have made the these hard times easier for us, and have also shown that. Uh, tech can actually solve a lot of problems that we probably didn't imagine. Yeah, the, that's really true. I mean, you know, it's not a YC company, but look at Zoom. You know, the, although we're not doing this podcast over Zoom, we could be. And um, so much of our lives now take place over that. And it's hard to imagine. Uh, it's hard to imagine. You know, sometimes I think about how hard this would have been 10, 20 years ago before we had those sorts of tools. People would have been way more isolated and, um, you know, thank God that we're able to connect the way we are with the tools that we have today. That's made a huge difference in people's lives. Totally agree with you. Um, 
So we've talked a lot about kind of recent evolutions of YC and especially evolutions related to COVID and these pa this past year. But how has YC evolved over the years? I mean, you guys have been around for quite a while now. <laughs> this is our 16th year, ah. which, yeah, it's, um, it is quite a while. Uh, PG Paul Graham and, and his co-founders founded YC in 2005 um, was something called the Summer Founders Program. You and I have probably talked about that, that history at some point in the past, but, but, um, and, and we're, we're pretty different from them. We've, we've evolved both in breadth and depth. We, we, you know, just funded consumer software companies and funded eight companies in the first batch in the summer of 2005. And now we fund hundreds of companies per batch and the range of, of verticals of market verticals in which we, we, we fund companies is way larger. Um, um, B2B companies, um, uh, business to enterprise companies are probably the largest sector that we fund, but we also fund hard tech. We fund nuclear power companies. We have a, um, a company that is building a supersonic plane that you might have heard of called Boom. So we've expanded the the sort of if you could call it the footprint of 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 our impact on the entrepreneurial world pretty significantly. But we've also changed in in um in the breadth of the offering that we have. Um, the we we used to just have our, our our batch program, but now we have startup school, which is a free online class for startups that literally tens of thousands of companies have gone through since we launched that in 2017. And we, in 2015, we launched our, our um, continuity fund and we now fund companies at much later stages with um, much larger checks than we write for our, our batch program. And, and associated with that, that continuity program, we created a growth program for companies that are growing uh, so that we can, we can talk about issues that you just don't have, you know, when you're a two person startups, what happens when you're 50 people or a hundred people, what are the sort of issues you deal with as, as a, a CEO or, or founder or chief technology officer in a, in a company at, at that scale. And we've also created other programs like our Series A program and a work work at a startup that that help companies as they go from their very earliest idea phase all the way to the growth program and the, the set of things you need to do you know like hire people and and figure out how to reach your Series A and and so on so the the set the, the breadth of offering of of YC is way different than it was in the beginning but I will say say that in some sense we haven't changed that much our batch program and the kind of advice we give and how we talk to our founders in that sense that core has really not changed that much over the years and you guys are doing so much though i mean what what could possibly be next <laughs> <laughs> well you know uh what i prefer to say to to that question is more of the same um we our our goal is to help our entrepreneurs be as successful as possible to, you know, the way, the way we, the way we look at the world is that entrepreneurship increases the opportunity throughout the ecosystem, throughout the community in which that company lives. And so we hope to do more and more and more of that. And whether that means 
funding more companies, or it means finding ways to help those companies throughout their lifespan, that's more of what we'll do. So uh, nothing that we would do in the future, I'd say, would be shocking to you. It's all around helping founders be successful in one way or another. Super. And Jeff, we've talked a lot about the program, the story, YC. We've talked less about you and your role and your story, how you ended up in, in this position, um, what your day-to-day looks like. So tell me a little bit about that. Uh, sure. <laughs> I have actually been at YC now for, to me, it's sort of a shocking amount of time. It's coming up on 10 years this year. And so I'm, I'm not exactly new to YC. And in fact, I got to know Paul Graham, the founder in, um, it got in, in ancient years in, in the late nineties when his company via web was purchased by Yahoo just a year after my company 411 was purchased by Yahoo. So I, I go way, way back with PG and, and I've been at Y Combinator for a long time. I took over from Sam Altman as president in, um, in May of 2019. So I've, I've been in this current role just about a year and a half. It, 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 it feels, it feels like I was just kind of getting going in the role when the pandemic hit. I, I felt, I, I don't know, this is, this is maybe a, a bit of a, a silly comparison, but I, I feel a little bit like, like you know, Obama must have felt when he came and was president, right in the middle of a, like the worst financial crisis in the United States, and in you know since maybe the Great Depression in two thousand eight. Um, so it felt like I had just kind of started as president when we when we when we had a global pandemic to deal with, and of course, a lot of the past nine or ten months has been filled with thinking through how we how how we as a organization and how the services we run will transform in in sort of the new world of covid-19 um and so i've spent a lot of time thinking about that working with the leadership at yc and thinking through how this transformation should happen and and also thinking about how long term these things will be so I spent a lot of time doing that. In general, my role is is pretty simple. I try to remove any sort of barrier, any sort of problem that people within my organization will have, who within the YC organization will have to 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 getting what they do so well done. So that's that's pretty simply it. I um I spend one other way to put that, I guess, Roxanne, is I spend a lot of time on Zoom calls. <laughs> <laughs> I spend a lot of time talking to folks. Um, making sure that that everyone's aligned and moving in lockstep. As you pointed out, we're doing a lot more than we used to. So there's a fair number of moving parts now and keeping all those moving parts moving in lockstep is is sort of a fundamental characteristic of a job like mine. Wonderful. I I didn't realize you had such an incredible backstory with uh with Paul. So that's uh, that's really incredible. Um I now have to ask you a question. It's it's not really that related to to YC, but it's more related to kind of the impact of COVID on this, the Bay Area and the California ecosystem. Yeah. Um, we've been kind of hearing about a bit of an exodus from San Francisco, everybody picking up and leaving, especially a lot of investors. Tell me what you're witnessing and how this is impacting uh, the ecosystem over there. You know, one of the really surprising things about COVID 
for me was that the investing ecosystem for startup companies became more and more vibrant as opposed to less and less vibrant. Um, I didn't think that would happen. Um, and it didn't initially. Right in the very beginning, venture capitalists were like, whoa, let's check on all of our companies and make sure no one dies and no new investments and let's just be super careful. And then all of a sudden, there was this transformation that happened where, where folks realized, wait, this is actually accelerating a trend or set of trends that we were already seeing. We should double down and we should invest. And all of a sudden, the, the, um, the ability of companies to raise and to raise virtually took off. And so from an investing perspective, it, it doesn't matter whether a venture capitalist is in San Francisco, uh, in Menlo Park on Sand Hill Road, or in Miami. Their ability to meet with and invest in companies virtually um, across the United States, around the world, is is easier and better than ever. And it is just true that they are figuring out, just like we're figuring out how to work remote, they're figuring out how to work and make their decisions from remote as well. Now, it's sort of a separate question as to what this means for the Bay Area long-term. Is there been that big an excess? I actually think it's overstated. I think that one of the main reasons people come out to California is because it's awesome here. It's beautiful. The weather, it's, you know, it's January and it's going to be 65 degrees and sunny here today. And it, it'll rain some, but it's gorgeous. And there's so much to do. There's there's mountains close to ski at, and there's incredible places to walk and hike. And San Francisco's still one of the most beautiful cities in the entire world, despite the problems that are real there. Uh, you know, so we have our problems, but um, there's a lot of great reason to move here. And that doesn't even go into the opportunity that still exists here and the reasons for the, that opportunity and the ecosystem for entrepreneurship, et cetera. That hasn't changed. And uh, and that won't change, I don't think, for a long time, if ever. So yeah, I think some people are saying, I've had enough, I'm leaving. It, it's too crazy here. There's better places. But that's that's more of from from my perspective, more of a, a trickle and stuff on the margins than will happen longer term. I do think that, that there's a lot of work to be done in the Bay Area and notably in San Francisco. And I, and I think that um, that that's that those are there's some real issues and real problems there. But I don't think that they're in, in any imaginable way fatal problems. I just think that they're hard, real problems we have to struggle with. Good. Well, as somebody from the Bay Area, I'm really reassured to hear that it's actually potentially overstated and and not a mass exodus out of uh, out of the Bay Area. It's not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Certainly, I'm not moving. I like it. Oh, here. good. Um, and so now I'm going to end on uh, a question that's even bigger than San Francisco. Focus on the U.S. Focus on the incoming yeah. president, on Biden. Um, how do you feel that that's going to impact the startup ecosystem? Or is it going to impact the startup ecosystem at all? Well, I don't know. It, it, it's a, a fair question. Obviously, there's been extraordinary turmoil in the United States um, for, for the last for a long time, but notably since the presidential election on November 3rd. And obviously, 
since the events of last week. So I, I think it's it's a little hard to to um to take our eyes off the current events and think more to the future right now. I just kind of want to get past the inauguration <laughs> <laughs> and and hopefully past any potential interruption or violence that might occur then um because i think we were all super shocked by what happened last week um look the, the there's there's going to be a lot of pressure on biden to unravel some of the um policies of the last administration and um I think that's going to be impactful. I think it'll impact business overall in the United States. I hope that he does smart moves like increase the number of H-1B visas that the last administration was sadly reticent to do. Um, and I don't know exactly what he'll do as far as taxes, but those don't tend to have a huge impact on, on startups. So uh, my guess is that like for most things, the startup ecosystem is resilient to different administrations and to different policies because they kind of run uh, separately from them. And it's only once you get to be really big and really profitable that you start to worry about such things like a corporate tax rate. It doesn't matter much before you have significant revenues and, of course, profits. So I suspect that the um, the trends that will be more important are the ones we were talking about earlier, like the trends in a shift towards technology, towards online, towards the future of, of, of work, health, education, and that the changes of administration will be uh, impactful only on the margin. Well, yeah, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. But uh, Jeff, it has been such a pleasure having you with us. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. I can't wait to see you uh, again in person, preferably at some restaurant in Paris somewhere. <laughs> Likewise. All right, everyone, thank you for joining us. If you like this episode, make sure to give us many, many stars. And if you have any feedback or if you want to suggest a topic or a speaker, uh, we'd love to hear from you on Twitter or by email at press at stationf.co. And finally, make sure to follow us and not miss out on our next podcast episodes. We're available on all your usual podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, and Google Podcasts. All right, see you soon.